Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 36 of Ask the CEO with Abraham Gatile. Today, I'd like to introduce a very special guest. He's the sales director of cloud telephony provider Natterbox, and he has been a leader in the cloud industry for over 12 years. He sat on the boards of EuroCloud, FAST, the Cloud Industry Forum, and is a judge on the UK Cloud Awards. He has been rated as number one global SaaS influencer by Cloud and number one social influencer 2017 by Analytica. He is widely published on Cloud, is an approved writer for CloudTech, and has been published by National Computing Center. He was awarded UK Sales Director of the Year by Institute Sales and Marketing and is widely known as a leading social seller. It is my honor and pleasure to welcome the one and only Ian Moise. Welcome, Ian. Hi, Abraham. Thank you very much for having me today. Thanks for a great introduction as well. <laughs> my pleasure. Where are you uh, calling in from? Um, in just on the outskirts of London in the UK. Awesome. You know, one of the things I find fascinating by talking to business leaders from all over the world is, is just the fact that the world is round. It's morning for me, afternoon for you, and night for someone else, and we're all doing the same thing. Yeah, and, and, it, and the world's smaller than with, with the technology we know used today, the world's smaller than we've ever seen. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we're just sitting in the same room here. Feels like it, yeah. <laughs> So talking about cloud, uh, this is a great segue. So Ian, you obviously have a passion for cloud sales and social selling. So tell me something else about you that's not so obvious. That's a good, that's a good question. Something not so obvious. Um, I like uh, amateur street magic. How about that one for you? <laughs> so I'm, no, I'm known uh, um, uh, to randomly pull out a pack of cards when we're with customers and and take on the uh, the entertainer piece. Um, although I don't charge for it, I often need to do it in work environments. So it's a little bit of fun you can bring into the work environment. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> yes, and you know, that's what we really need. You know, everybody needs a little bit of fun every now and then. So really cool. So Ian, as the sales director of Natterbox, tell me a little bit about what Natterbox is. What are some of the solutions that it offers? Sure, so to keep it simple for, for the listeners, um, we are transforming how telephony works. So utilizing the new world technology, cloud, um, enabling customers to better serve their customers. Um, so what I mean by that, uh, you know, when I look at the, the technology space, and particularly telephony, it's always been very technology-led, very complex, um, and the telecom world, telecom world still is. What we're doing is removing the complexity the customers don't need to worry about all the terminology and running it, plugging and all, all the things that they don't have the in-house expertise or want to have. But what we're giving them is the quality. So what do you need? As we're discussing, talking now over here, high quality uh, communication, but then the flexibility in today's world to make it personal. Personalized calling, the buyer journey. How do I improve the customer's interaction with us? And everyone looks at it over the website and optimal journeys on things such as that. We do that by the telephony. Now, what's the optimal journey for your customers to engage with you over telephony? And how can you be smarter in doing that and make it easier, more affordable for your business? That, that's probably the potted piece for what we do. 
Got it. You know, one of the things I love about what you're saying is that you've completely turned around what many people view as a commodity. You know, telecom today is it's really viewed as a utility uh, or a commodity. And what you're doing is you're actually focusing on the benefits. Um, what can we offer the business in terms of customer experience? How can we help your business? Yeah, and what we've done uniquely is, is totally move that platform inside the Salesforce CRM platform. Let me give an easy, an easy example in five seconds. Wouldn't it be nice if you call a business and they recognize the number and they know which part of the business to put through because you only ever deal with a particular department or their phone system identifies you by name because it recognizes the high end will put you through to your account manager now and it knows from the data in the CRM your name and who your account manager is and it just makes the connection rather than forcing you through press, press, press all those buttons. And that's really easy to do with the technology we provide the customer. Gotcha. And, you know, being in the telephony business, I can relate to what you're talking about. And one of the things I tell people about the advantage of dealing with a smaller company versus a large company, for example, is that customer support experience. When you call a large company, exactly like you said, press 500 different options and maybe you'll get someone yeah. in a similar department that doesn't know who you are. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're empowering customers to, through the use of our cloud telephony technology, remove that barrier with the customer. The phone shouldn't be a barrier, it should be a connector. Um, and I think we've gone down the line of using traditional telecoms and traditional technology to automate and make our business more effective, but what it's done is made it less effective for the customer. So we're putting that back. Mm, gotcha. So you mentioned Salesforce. So how does your telephony solution integrate or work with Salesforce? Sure, so we worked really hard to embed end-to-end -end our whole system inside Salesforce. So we're the, we're the only and the first technology provider to do that. There is no one else can do that end-to-end, -end, and, that, and that includes allocating numbers. So a Salesforce administrator can administer now your phone system with no knowledge of, of phone-type technology. And within that, imagine a marketing manager being able to allocate a new phone number for a campaign, grab it within Salesforce, you're not leaving Salesforce at any point, grab that number, put it on your data sheet that you're about to do an event for, link it to a campaign in Salesforce, you do the event, knowing that anyone phones back in on that phone number, that call will automatically create a lead in Salesforce with the correct campaign source because we know the phone number they've called in through. All of that automated, set up yourself very quickly without any telephony knowledge. So we've embedded the whole piece and empowered you to do all that data conversation within Salesforce. All the data in Salesforce now helps you serve the customer and the customer inbound helps feed the data to you. What we've had from, from clients' um, site is better data quality in Salesforce, better productivity of the agents, uh, better customer service and experience for your external customer. So it's a win-win all, all the way around. Yeah, gotcha. I could definitely, I can definitely see that, uh, you know, having administered many different phone systems and work with customers. Uh, one of the things I, one of the benefits I see right away is just speed. Um, from the time that the, the plan is in place to create that campaign until it actually gets executed, usually involves either a call to your telephony provider 
or having to open a ticket with your IT department to create that uh, direct inward dial number and redirect it to your campaign until that happens, that takes place, a lot of time goes by. So what you're basically enabling is not just the experience, but the speed of implementation. Absolutely, and so a great example, we just did the Salesforce Demo Jam, the Salesforce World Tour in London. Uh, we're proud to say we won the Demo Jam against six other app, app providers being compared. And what we did in the, in the three minutes given is we provisioned all of the audience to be our, our operators, our agents, simply by texting in. They texted the number, we automatically added them as an agent in Salesforce, provisioned, uh, uh, while that was going on, one of our team provisioned a new phone number, got someone else to phone that number, diverted it through to a web phone in Salesforce. We rejected that because we're busy at home, you know, we've got another call or the kids are screaming or whatever, a home worker, and that then directed the whole sales team. The sales team was the audience and all of their phones rang. Three minutes, we provisioned a whole uh, configuration of all those agents and all the ruling to redirect. It can be done very, very quickly, and that, I think, you hit the nail on the head. Much of what we do, not all, but some of, uh, certainly some of what we do can be done in other systems, but you typically don't because it's too painful, too time-consuming, so people just don't do it. They want to do it, but it's just too hard. We went here, click and point, you can now do all these wondrous things without having to call a provider where, you know, you can do it with your Salesforce administrator or if it's delegated, the marketing manager, the sales director can do certain parts that you've allocated them to themselves. They can get on and use the power of telephony and the Salesforce together like you've never done before. That, that is beautiful. I, and I find that fascinating how you were able to set up remote people as quote unquote remote agents just via having them text into the system. So just thinking of a scenario, so let's say you have uh, a travel agency with remote agents all over the world. Uh, they don't need any special hardware or software. They can just program their or have their mobile phone number programmed as an agent and they're ready to go. Yeah, correct. We, we've, we've also taken it one step further. What we've also built uh, in, into the offering is a web phone within Salesforce. So. I, to give you the example, I could go to any PC in the world, log into my Salesforce instance. Once I'm in front of Salesforce, I've now got my desk phone live with me. No, no software, no soft phone or software to install on the machine. I am now live with my customer data ready to go and a web phone. But if someone rings me or I'm outbound, you do it within Salesforce. And because it's all cloud-based and we've integrated it fully, it's all transparent to the user. They're not aware that it, how this is working and the fact it's calling out through our global infrastructure. That is, that is beautiful. Now, are there any physical instruments that you need or is it all PC-based or software-based? Yeah. We, we support the mix. So we support desk phones and devices and, and of course, mobiles um, through to, uh, we, we will provide where customers want the soft phone through to the full package, which is using the web phone and Salesforce, and you can mix and match. The beauty of this is we understand in businesses, not everyone's going to have a Salesforce login, but you can still administer your whole telephony platform inside Salesforce. You have your Salesforce users, 
And that is simply when you provision, you provision their phone, <coughs> apologies, their desk phone with them. So that's all very consistent and linked together. And then over here, you have users who don't have a Salesforce login. You still provision them in Salesforce, but you don't need a Salesforce license. Because what we're really doing is configuring the policy and rules that if someone calls this direct dial number, which phone do you want to ring? So all Salesforce is doing, in effect, is, is becoming the administration portal onto our cloud-based Natabox infrastructure of what to do if someone calls that number. So we don't have to have everyone in Salesforce. You can mix and match Salesforce, non-Salesforce users, mobile phones, typical desk phones, soft phones, and also the web phone in Salesforce, all transparently. How do you want to work with the customer to effectively empower your business? And that's what we allow. Really nice. Now, one of the things to, to this point, one of the things that I deal with many times out in the field is uh, roles-based administration. So you may have, let's say, a help desk agent or you know, a help desk technician that may be responsible for things like password resets or you know, check for checking voicemail or uh, programming buttons, you know, or minor features, but you may not want to give them access to some of the more intimate portions of your uh, telephony infrastructure. Uh, do you have that kind of capability? Yeah, absolutely. So we, we applied the Salesforce security model because we sit inside it. So in the same manner, you can have different access privileges to what users can do. So the typical user will just use it as a phone. You might give them some local configuration of, of, of the buttons they have on there, but that, that's pretty much it. Whereas the full administrator will be able to administer the whole phone system, including using Salesforce Process Builder, so using their tool to select the routing. Um, let me give an example there that's uh, perhaps an obvious one. What about if in your business you have thousands of sales opportunities going on, but there are certain ones that are more important than others, i.e. those based on the size of opportunities, a million dollar deals, do you want to treat those differently? If those few million dollar prospects call in, what do you want to do? Perhaps you want to push them to the front of the queue straight away. Simply within a, a, the process builder in Salesforce, that's what you, you configure. And a few quick points and clicks, anyone from any of the gold numbers or um, anyone from an opportunity where the value field is greater than a million dollars, automatically button to the front of the queue. So based on Salesforce live data, you can enact the outcome of the telephony experience of the customer. Mm. So that's definitely something to consider. So now we're not just talking about customer retention, but we're actually talking about new sales. Absolutely, and support. Think about support where people have um, typically maybe bronze, silver, gold packages with response times. How do you manage that? Do you currently give them a different phone number each? Or would it be good to give them a number, the same number, but simply by the setting within Salesforce, will the, the telephony system would interact with them and prioritize them in the correct manner automatically. So therefore, if you upgrade a customer from one to another, they would immediately get the tele telephony experience correct for their level without touching the telephone system because it's rules-based. I love that. You know, there, there's so many times that I've come into a situation like this, so I can appreciate the level of administration that takes place. And this just like that, it just simplifies it. So Ian, I'm totally blown away by this solution. Who would be a, an ideal candidate for a customer? 
So, uh, ideal candidates, firstly, it's customers who care about the customer experience. If, if you're just looking for a cheap telephony, you just want to be able to make phone calls, but there's no um, experience you're trying to wrap around it, there are far cheaper providers out there. We're, we're not the Rolls Royce, but, but we're not cheap cheap. We, we appreciate, instead of our customers, the value that we deliver to them um, into their business. What we deliver them is top and bottom line benefit. And that, by that, I mean you can create operational efficiency with your team. They can make more calls to the right people at the right time, um, utilizing the data you have. Um, and the customer experience in terms of redirecting the call to the right place in the most effective manner. You may want to record calls. You may want to link those straight to Salesforce records of less clicks. So the customer can be on the lines less because you can wrap up calls quicker using automatic wrap up codes. Um, and also, one of my bugbears is always calling through as a customer and, and getting transferred because I'm not in the right department personally, and then having to repeat the whole story again. You know, if you're using Salesforce data to pop it on screen, as you transfer, the data can pop, people could be on the same data so that the information flow goes with the call. Um, so our ideal customer, uh, if you said the perfect customer, would be multinational, um, Salesforce is wanting seeing the value in Salesforce. Perhaps they're, 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 they're concerned about net promoter score, their NPS score, the customer quality. And this can be support organizations, sales organizations, inbound and outbound calling. It, it, it varies. Some mix that. Some have a very specific focus. Um, you know, what, our big differentiators are the fact we're fully embedded in Salesforce more than any other provider and the fact that we own our own telecoms provision through eight data centers around the globe. So we can assure the quality right around the globe, which many providers struggle. Re many providers are, are regionally based. If you've got an operation in Asia Pac, perhaps Europe, perhaps the US, one provider becomes difficult to choose because the call quality bounces around the internet. With us, we, we assure the call quality globally. And, and we built that from outset seven years ago to make sure that the underlying infrastructure could deliver that. So that's the fundamental. Yeah, uh, definitely the latency there. So whether the customer is in the US, Canada, Australia, uh, you have data centers that can support that in the region. Yeah, yeah, we've got eight data centers around the globe. So a couple in North America, several in Asia, Europe, and the UK. Absolutely, and, that, and that's our own equipment. And we actually operate at the telco level. So another box is, is um, if you look at it, what, what's for a cloud software provider and our technology, we also operate at, at the telco level, which gives us key advantages in serving a customer in, a, in the ability to provision these numbers. And also, if there should be an issue, we can redirect the traffic through different um, telco provision very, very quickly so it doesn't affect the customer. Yeah. And you know, one more benefit that comes to mind when you mention multinational. So if you have, if you have offices on different continents, so think about having what they call least cost routing. You have, you have a person that calls in from Canada that gets routed to an agent in Europe that then transfers out to somebody in Africa. And it, it, we can do that all, all on the same platform, invisible to the customer, absolutely. Fantastic. So moving on in the cloud world, I know you're, you're active in, on the cloud, uh, just in the cloud industry in general. What are some of the topics that you're passionate about? 
So a, a couple of data points. I, I think the biggie is data security and data privacy, and it remains in, in all the cloud service. Cloud Three Forum, which I sit on the board of, does an annual survey, and every year data security, data privacy are the top two that come out, and it retains today. You know, I, I, I did. I must, looking back, I'd I, I thought 12, 13 years ago when I got into the cloud sector that by this sort of um, period, we have seen that reduced, but it's still a concern. And I think what stimulates that is the data leaks, um, you know, the phishing attacks, um, and the breaches that we consistently see in the press around the globe. Um, not all of them are cloud-based, of course, and it, but anything internet-based, by definition, the consumer will, will, will associate with cloud, like for like. So I think that retains the highest piece, and certainly in Europe, um, I speak often on a, on a subject, of the, there's a new data law, GDPR, General Data Protection Regulation. Uh, that will become, um, it, it's already in place as a law, but it will be um, live in terms of being enforced 25th of May 2018. And that really changes the game because it puts more power in the hands of the consumer that it's their data, and it puts more pressure on the data processor, the cloud provider, in terms of um, if getting it wrong, what is it going to cost? Which is a good thing. You know, there, there should be more pressure on this data is critical to the individual. Yeah, and I could relate to that. I'm in the US, but I think not a year goes by that I don't get a letter from some big company or another. We've had a data breach and you've got one yeah. year subscription to credit monitoring. And we've all we've all been there. So so with regards to this law, uh, the general data protection regulation, right? Uh, so what are what are some of the implications of this law? So there's the, the, the several. Firstly, it's all it's European-wide, um, UK included, despite Brexit, that, that does not affect this. Secondly, it does affect other countries around the world because if you're going to be trading with, with providers or customers in the EU region, you can expect to be asked about much, much um, more regimentally, how are you going to protect my data? Because I, I think the supply chain is what's going to drive this. So if you if you think if a a customer, everyone's going to become compliant with this law, by the way, in Europe. But if a customer has data and they're in the UK or Germany and they've become compliant, and I'm now about to share my data with you in the US, if I don't do diligence to protect that data. I, I risk my compliance with GDPR myself because I'm exposing risk to the data set. So it will impact companies out, outside the EU. And some of the fundamental changes are that previously, a data breach did not have to be reported by law. So firstly, you, 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 and many companies may have covered this up or dealt with it internally. GDPR enforces that within 72 hours, you have to report a potential data breach to the authorities which means it's going to get out there. More, we're going to see more news and more press on the bad stuff come next year, that, that's for sure. Secondly, you're then going to be in, have the risk of a much larger fine than, than you've ever had before. So let me give you context. In the UK, the largest fine under current law that is, is permissible for a data breach is £500,000. Under the new law, it is 4% of your prior year's global turnover or 20 million euros, whichever is the greater. So to cite a recent example, TalkTalk, 
uh, had a breach a couple of years ago. The fine was 80% of the maximum of 400,000. Under the new law, the fine would have been around 17 million euros. This is the drive. It's a very different behaviour in customers uh, and businesses and how they protect the individual citizens' data. Because getting it wrong, it could have a, a, a commercial impact, it could have a PR impact that people are going to know about it. And thirdly, my prediction is we're going to see lawyers, and I'm sure you have them over the air, you know where I'm going, I think. We're going to see lawyers doing, doing the, the class action suit. If you have a data breach, contact us, we'll get your compensation. And under GDPR, civil action is now permissible. So the individual can cite the damages from the data breach. Now that may be emotional damage or not. So we're going to see a lawyer, the minute they see a data breach of 30,000 people, and if you're one of those 30,000, contact us, we'll get some claim for you back. And as soon as the authorities find that organization, that is evidence of being guilty, my legal case is sound, I just now have to negotiate how much. So for companies getting it wrong, there's a triple whammy. Fine, PR, and then civil action. Yeah. Now's the time to fix it. So, you know, this is takey, this is important stuff. Yeah, and you know, I could also see many companies in the U.S. and elsewhere uh, adopting voluntary measures in order to become compliant in GDPR, or they risk isolating themselves in the global marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. It's that supply chain. You're going to see requests for information, invitations to tender. This is what I'm promoting to businesses in the U.K., whether you believe you need to be GDPR compliant, which if you hold personal data, you have to be, but whether you're doing anything about it, you're going to be driven to by your supply chain, upwardly and downwardly, because they're going to come to you saying, if you want to keep trading with us, we're, we're ethical, we're becoming compliant. For you to still deal with us and transmit data back and forth, we need to know you're compliant, where you stand. And if you don't have a good answer, they're going to move, they're going to go somewhere else. So I think the monetary, the first thing will be the, the pain of that. But getting it wrong, we're going to see some big businesses getting big fines. And I think that's when everyone will panic and we'll see a lot of resources thrown at this. Right now, there's a lethargy around this because people aren't aware of it or aren't educated in, in some of the points that they share with you. Mm, gotcha. So, so, Ian, this is all fascinating stuff you're sharing with us. How did you get started with all this? Where, where, where did I start? I'll do it very quickly. So at age 14, a neighbor moved in with um, a 1K computer, a ZX81 as was, 1981, that ages me. And within a couple of lines of seeing a few things it did, I was looked in, into technology. So I, I started off as a programmer um, at IBM and moved into sales purely because I, I was passionate about computing and saw an opportunity to be to earn more money, to be frank, than I, than I could as a, I was good as a programmer, but I wasn't the best. And, and that was a very competitive market. Um, but I'm still passionate about technology. And, and really now what's changed is rather than technology, the technology signals, saying the bits and bytes, how it transforms, the outcome it can give people. How can this transform your customer experience, as I've mentioned? How can it transform your life, what we're seeing? You, you know, sat nav on a phone. Who doesn't use things like that? Ways, you know, the, the cost effectiveness of the power you can now get for a, for a small 59 pence app and what it can give you today, and the knowledge we've got in our hands 
24-7, anywhere you are in the world, who doesn't turn to Google um, or Siri or, you know, the plethora of devices that we're seeing? Our world has changed over the last 15 years and is never going back. And for me in sales, that's, it's changed the biodynamic, it's changed the selling process in terms of the customer's more informed. So you have to keep evolving to stay relevant. And that makes it interesting. Yeah. So uh, what was your decision when you knew that I'm going into, I'm going into this career, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to crush it with cloud and be the number one expert? <laughs> well, cloud I fell into accidentally. I'd love to say I strategically saw the future and moved into cloud. An opportunity presented itself. I was aware um, mid-2000s that cloud and the impact it was having, but it was more of a good job opportunity with a good company, and it happened to be cloud. As soon as I got involved with that, I started to see the transformational ability of this, how fast you can deploy a technology, how fast you, as a customer, you can start to receive the benefits, where in the old world, it could often be a three or six month project before you can even be logging in as users to get going. Whereas cloud takes away the first stage, which is, when you think about it, it had no value to the customer. Installing software and hardware has no value and never has. It's been a necessity to get to the point of actually using. Cloud removes that and says, right, focus on using and configuring the business value from day one, because it's already up and running. You know, Salesforce is a good example. They've done a fantastic job in the cloud sector. You can sign up in seconds online, be logged in, and be doing the basic fundamentals of putting customer data in um, within seconds. And same with Natabox, you can very quickly provision a phone system and have the basics and be making a call. Where you then spend your time is, how can we do the clever stuff? How do we mirror the business process we want to have and the journey for our customer? And that's where you should be investing your time to have business value. Not in the box, in the operating system, in the software, in the patches, in the network connectivity, and you've lost a week, you've lost two weeks, where you get all that stuff in the database, with cloud, switch it on, all that's already running for you. And I think that's the real, real attractiveness of this piece. So I, I'm, as you guess, I'm quite passionate about this, and being in it has led me to being on the board of the non-execs of many companies to advising people on cloud strategies. That's some of the accolades you said at the beginning. That's come about by accident. I think some because being in the right place at the right time, and by doing one thing, what I have done, as we're doing now, is put myself out there. I've tried to contribute to the industry, try and give thought leadership, write articles, blogs. And what I find now is I get a lot of requests in for, could you help guest blogs for this? Or could you come and present at this event? Then you get seen at an event, and they invite you to do something else. So I've just been invited this morning to join a, an elite LinkedIn group um, on social selling of the first 150 in this group that they're looking to take wider. But it's really on the advisory side. Now that's come about because of everything else I've done, not because I, I did it to get that opportunity. So one thing I say to everyone is, you know, put yourself out there, contribute, and take part, and don't wait for it to happen, and you will begat other things. One thing will create another opportunity, which will lead to five others that you could never have seen coming. And, and I feel quite fortunate to have that opportunity to speak with people like yourselves. 
Yeah. And you know, I find that so fascinating because my own experience mirrors that. So I can truly appreciate what you're saying. I've only been involved in cloud technology since January of 2016. But when I started with that, it was more of just seeing the change in the marketplace and how cloud is evolving. Um, I made the decision that I'm going to be as good as I can be, you know, <laughs> the best, the number one. And to that point, what I did was I started contributing. That was my method. I started writing blog articles, even though nobody read them. I didn't care. I just put them out there every week, another article. And I started uh, doing podcasts about cloud and just talking to people. And then what I found was, hey, you know, it's becoming so fluent. I can talk about it. I understand it. I could converse with anybody about the technology and it's relevant. And it's all because, like you said, you, you know, contribute first and put yourself out there and then you, it'll, it'll evolve that way. You'll, you'll get there. Absolutely. And, you know, I've met some fantastic people, both in the cloud and the selling community. Um, and you build your own personal brand. Uh, and this isn't about marketing or anything, but, but just by your reputation. Um, and people will find you. With the, with the world we live in of social today, if you build worth, um, you will get the right followers. They will help you. They will share to their audience, you know, through influence and marketing. Um, and... It's up to you what you want to create. That's the beauty of this, I think, with the world we live in, technology such as video uh, and all the social platforms, is if you've got a voice and you've got some value that you can give, there are people out there who want that value. Yeah, I actually have a poster hanging on my wall. It's called The, the Go-Givers. That is really the paradigm that I live by. And it's so counterintuitive what the typical mainstream would think of like, what do you mean? You're going to put in all this work for free and you're not getting anything back, but it's not about that because by giving you're getting more than you could ever imagine. And, and my view is it will come back. You know, I, I've done many, you know, I've done paid presenting, blogging, etc. but that wouldn't have happened unless I'd given first. It, we all want to stick ahead and say, please pay me for this, pay me for everything, monetize everything. But where do you start? You know, and that's how you start. If you're going to make that, my view is, if you put value out there, people will come to you. So I've, I've had some large companies come to me recently asking to guest blog, provide content. We've seen what you've done. We've seen the influencer on this list. Or, but I didn't plan for this. It's just by contributing. And as I say, I live by one thing but gaps another. Pay it forward and you will get your rewards. You don't know what they are today. You can't say, this is what I'm going to get. That's why I'm doing this. It's more, I'm doing all this stuff, and something's going to come back my way, but I don't know what it is yet. And it will. I, I, I've witnessed it year on year. It has got easier for, more, for me, and I get more advice to do more of these things. Yeah, I mean, you definitely hit on a nerve with me. So this is a topic I'm very passionate about. Believe it or not, I actually wrote an article titled, The Best Monetization Solution May Be to Not Monetize. <laughs> Uh, it's, not, I, not always, it's not always monetary value, right? Some of it is profile, some of it is, you know, I get invited to the board of this and that. And, and, and some of it is the profile it gives you as well. I, I'm a, I've, I've, um, in the exam, a school speaker. You know, so it's some of it's giving it back. And from that, interestingly enough, you learn. So in some of the schools talking I've done, it's interesting hearing the questions that millennials and the Z generation ask of, 
technology and, and cloud. And I learned from that. So when I am presenting at a corporate event, you've got more context to talk from authority based on those experiences. So it gives me value back that I can utilize elsewhere. That's a great way to look at it. Okay, so Ian, during, during those early years as you were building your career, what were some of the challenges or ups and downs that you've experienced along the way? So I, I guess being in sales, the one, what, the one bit I would give advice to people on is sales by definition is it, it, this. You know, you, you, you can do everything right um, and you're not necessarily going to win. Customer may have a change in dynamic, they may be acquired, um, someone may have to leave their job for personal reasons and the project gets put on hold. There's so many reasons out of your control, apart from obviously losing the business to someone else. Um, even leveraging the customer might decide, you know what, I don't see the value in spending the money here right now, we're better investing here. So you can do everything right in sales and still have that effect of, I put all this work in, didn't get the reward. And you've got to live with that. And, and sales is a cyclical um, a career where you get judged every month. You know, typically in a role you get reviewed every year. You get that yearly annual review, which, which personally I don't agree with anyway, it should be an ongoing piece, but you get an annual review. With sales, you get an annual review virtually every month because your number's there, it's public, everyone knows how well you did or didn't. Um, and you've got a bit of live with that. So it's a different emotional journey. So that, that's one of the things I've learned over the years. Initially, that, that can prove a struggle for some people and, and certainly myself. You've got to get used to that thing. You're being sort of judged publicly in your business every day. Who's the top salesman? If you weren't, where did you come? I had a bad month. And well, everyone knows. Um, the, the other thing I guess is, and, and it's a phrase I use often, is you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So, you know, over time I've recognized that's something coming into any situation. Everyone has different background experiences. Um, everyone, everyone has different knowledge. Um, so even as a sales leader, I don't know everything about everything. I've got experiences, but a junior person in the room may have a great contribution to make and they should be encouraged because they'll have an idea that isn't hampered by all the experience I've had. Experience is good, but it can also be bad because you've got that, this is how you do something and solve the problem. And that's drawing me over there, where someone with none of that comes out with an idea you wouldn't have thought of. So I would encourage that you don't know what you don't know, um, and everyone has, has something to contribute, and you need to be open to new ideas and to develop. Um, and it works well, starting with building, I found with building teams and working with teams. But certainly I didn't know that early on. You know, I've made mistakes because I didn't know I didn't know things. So my answer was A, I'm going to do A, because that's all I know. So I've realized now, no matter how much you know, there's context outside that, and you've got to be prepared to listen to others a lot more, um, and also be challenged, no matter what level of the business you're at, um, and fail. The other thing I've learned through time is be prepared to fail. Don't fail at 90% of things, but do more knowing you're going to fail at some of it and correct rather than do nothing because you're already on the course. Just do lots and lots of good decisions fast. You know, do your diligence as quickly as you can, make educated decisions, but make decisions knowing, you know what, maybe I'll make some mistakes, but the good will outweigh the bad. Get on with things. And, and that's how I behave differently now, so I would have done with context years ago. 
Yeah, that, that, is, that is really beautiful. And uh, I believe uh, Napoleon Hill said that a hundred years ago about the mastermind, you know, having more minds working together can get you a lot farther than just by yourself because you have everybody's perspective and context. Yeah, crowdsourcing is called, and yeah, you know, with anything, the statistical patterns around this, if you ask 10, 100 people where they think the treasure is buried, and you average it, you're more likely to pick that treasure than any individual. And, and there's nice documentaries on this that talk about it, so that, that stri always strikes me off, you know, the greater of the whole, aggregating it, and then coming up with a solution will be better than the individual. Fascinating. So, Ian, what keeps you motivated every day? Um, being in sales, money motivated, but that, that's not the bill in the, in the end. I think I'm passionate about winning, um, about challenging myself, learning new things, but I'm passionate about the outcome we give, having success with customers and relationships that come back and pay back later. So I'm quite proud that I can go back to customers or partners business partners I dealt with 20 years ago and they'll talk to me. It doesn't mean they're going to buy from me because what I have today may not be right for their situation, but they'll respect that whenever I've interacted with them, I've been respectful, um, I've served them well, um, and they'll give me the, the time back. And, I, and after that's part of the pay for it. I have to get people to reach out to them and asking advice about something. And whilst you can give all your time up, I always try and respond, even if it's with them to a link for a bit of resource. I'm trying to find a job in town, go to this recruiter, some good people who can help me use my name, or just giving something back, back with, the, with the balance of time that you can give. Really nice. So Ian, you know this, this statistic that uh, most small businesses will fail during the first year of business. Where don't oh. you find entrepreneurs going wrong and what advice would you offer them? Yeah, that, that's a wide-sweeping wide question, I guess, because uh, the, I don't think there's one consistent reason. Uh, I'd love for the golden answer. I can I could package and sell that one quite easily, but my my observations, and I've worked for a number of entrepreneurs who've been particularly successful in building business after business, um, and, and one of the observations I've got is use the skills of others around you, as we've already touched upon, as opposed to being, I know everything, so I've seen many where the entrepreneur's view is, I'm best at everything, um, so I'm just going to override it because it's mine and ownership, as opposed to use skills around you, get advice, you know, non-executive directorships, I've done a few of those with people where uh, their business isn't broken, but they've asked me, for example, to advise them on the sales process because they haven't got the experience in the business or social selling or areas where there's someone else you can pull in. And a full level, your startup, so you're not going to burn cash, just to get those nuggets, those short, you know, those marginal gains, as opposed to use assumptions. You haven't got the experience and knowledge, but I'll do it myself. So be willing to speculate to accumulate, I guess. You know, pay a little bit to get some expertise and skills and advice on areas that you need, because you can't know it all. That is so it's leaning on those experts in the market and asking for help. And I think that's what I've seen in some of the experiences I've had, entrepreneurs who are good and others who don't ask anyone, they just get on with it. They, they share themselves and often wonder, ask me, just ask me some questions. I could tell you five things you're not doing, but you, 
you don't ask it. That is very sound advice. Thank you, Ian. So, Ian, where are you looking to take this, let's say, in five years? Me, me personally or the business? <laughs> Your brand, you. <laughs> so, for myself, um, I'd like, if I can continue on the path I've been on, um, I've got a good reputation of, of I believe, from feedback of, um, and the references I've got of <clears throat> delivering quality, delivering value and being respected for um, what I do um, in the cloud sector. Uh, my goal right now is to expand that in the cloud telephony sector that I'm in. I'm relatively new into this subsection of, of cloud. So to learn more about the market of, of telecoms and telephony, um, to become hopefully a thought leader in this subsector, um, and to continue doing what I'm doing and contributing. I'm a judge on a number of awards, cloud awards, as you might mention, Women's Sales Awards, Institute of Sales Marketing Awards. So it's a give back, because all the time I'm doing that, I'm also learning from the people I'm engaging with. So for me, over the next five years, apart from a love to retire, make, 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 make the, the big amount and spend time with the family, but in day-to-day in, in -day operations, to continue learning, to look back in five years and believe I've developed myself further, I've learned new knowledge, skills, and experiences, and I'm better than I am today. Really nice. So, so Ian, I know we touched upon this earlier on, but if you could rewind the clock, let's say 12 months, would there be anything sure. different that you do? Um, <clears throat> yeah, hindsight's a wonderful thing, I guess, right? Um, I, I try not to look back and, and look on regrets for things you haven't done because you don't know what, if I hadn't done X, which might have been a bad experience, would I be where I am today? I mean, that, that's a challenging thing. You know, we've, we've all got made bad choices and bad experiences. But if you haven't done that, has that helped you grow? Has it helped me make different decisions today than I would have done if I hadn't gone through that? And it's a difficult one to know. Where would I be today if I hadn't done three or five, four or five things over the last four or five years, including the bad decisions? Would I be in a good place now? And you can't know, right? So I'm not so sure I'd change anything. Um, I'd love to have foresight um, so that I could uh, avoid making any mistakes. But um, for me, I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly looking at new ideas um, and learning from people around me. I think what I've learned that I didn't do as much back then is to get engaged with people with the skill sets that you want to have, find that audience and engage them. So for example, I'm, I'm not exec on a board of uh, digital leadership associates, a social selling company. There are now 12 of us in that group and the expertise when we sit around the table is incredible. We've got two text speakers, we've got global social sales experts, I lead in the cloud. The wealth of expertise and the, the, the knowledge I'm learning of those other individuals, and hopefully what I'm partaking and giving as well, is invaluable because we've got such an expert group. Um, so it's accelerated learning in that particular social selling area of expertise. Before, I'd have read, listened to blogs, and but get yourself embedded, go to events, meet the people, and learn from them. Because you learn quicker, I think, in my experience of reading the book, because they've got the real-world experience of what works, what doesn't, ask them questions, challenge them. 
So Ian, you know, this is a very popular topic. We've got so many people writing in with questions. So we're going to take the top five and we're going to go through them. All right. So first question is from Peter Hoffman, a holistic lifestyle coach in uh, Bergen County, New Jersey. So Peter writes, what is the most effective marketing tool or strategy you would recommend to an entrepreneur looking to sustainably grow a service business, such as an in-person and online coaching business? That's a great wide sweeping question. So I'll give you a thought. Um, I think there's a much wider answer to that than we could spend a whole session with. So a thought to that is what I've been observing in marketing is a lot of the traditional marketing methods are struggling, not, not totally failing, but they're challenged. And I, I hear this from business after business uh, who are short of leads and opportunities. What, what is the big thing you want? And uh, what that question that Peter's asked, I would gain, he wants engagement with the right audience to be able to sell his services in materials his wares. So my thought to that would be step back from that rather than go out and spend and do shows, etc. would be identify who you're right, who, what, what is your customer persona? What does your customer look like, your ideal customer? And as you asked me earlier, I think, in, in, in a slightly different way, what does your customer look like? The majority of them. Okay, so that's what they look like. Once you define that, where, where do they reside? Who influences them? Do they reside in certain communities, in LinkedIn or on Snapchat? Or where, where is that persona going to be? How do I reach them? And who are the influencers on those platforms that would reach them? So for me, for example, as described, our ideal customer is first in the Salesforce ecosystem. They've got Salesforce. So where do I find Salesforce customers as opposed to going out to the universe? Do I look in Salesforce groups on LinkedIn? Do I look at Twitter and search for people using the hashtag Salesforce? Do I start to build a list of who those people might be? And then look at who are they retweeting? Who are they sharing? What blogs are they in? What groups are they in? How do I contribute in those groups to get them to notice me? Because this is all cheap guerrilla marketing. You don't have to spend adverts and banners. This is, how do I get them to notice something? So it depends on what your service or product is. If it's visual um, and it's children you're trying to get to, well, put, put, an, put a video of it on Facebook, right? Get people to share it and go viral. If it's business oriented service that addresses um, realtors, then where's the group? Let's post something in there that talks about the outcome they'll get from my service. Not in a product pitch, but um, would you like to increase your customer engagement of buyers of new properties by 30%? And how would you do that? And maybe that leads to the service you're providing, but you talk about the outcome. They're going to, they're going to be gravitating to, that's interesting. Someone's posted this, that's an interest. I'll have a look at that. Don't do a product pitch. You're giving something to them. They will come to you. If they value what you're saying, tell them how you can do it generically. And we do this around telephony. It's some of the things you can get out of it as an outcome. Um, and it's great. And, and the way you do it is you build rules around this. Give an example. Um, and if you want to learn more into your video, come here. You can draw them to you at the end. But 99% of it is I've given you value. Right, so identify what, what your profile of your customer is, where do you find them. If you can buy a data list of it that's accurate, absolutely data is, is integrity is key. If not, who influences them? Use influencer marketing. That would be some of my thoughts. Because all, we all know the do an event, do a mail shot and all that stuff. And 
you know, I question that looking at the percentages people get back from that, it's broken. It's broken. You, the stats prove it. So, how do you do something different to engage them? And that goes back to the theme of giving instead of looking to take, buy me, buy my stuff. Uh, by contributing, people will want to buy from you. If you, do, if you do an advert or it's a pitch, you know, they open something and then three lines in, it's obviously a product pitch. What do we all do? Think yourself, what do you do? That's what your prospect's going to do. Whereas if it's something educational, I read it all the time, I see something that purports to tell you how to generate more leads, all the things that are important to me as a sales leader, I'll read it. But if two, two minutes in, I realize this is a pitch, I'm gone. What I'm looking for is give me insight, give me value. And if I go down and then it leads to, you know, this is great. And then there's something that draws me in, you know, and this is how you can do this using this tool. Well, I'm hooked now. I'm hooked in, I buy this. How do you, show me how you can do it, help me. They'll come and look at you. So earn the rights first and then draw them in, but don't pitch them. It's the soft sell. Wow, really great advice. Okay, question two. So this is from Jay McBain, an accomplished speaker, author, and innovator in the IT industry from Albany, New York. I'm aware, uh, I'm aware of Jay, so hi Jay, thanks for the question. <laughs> so we actually had Jay uh, on a couple of episodes ago. So Jay asks, given the changes in the end customer buying journey, how do partners and vendors revamp their sales and marketing to focus online of business executives? Yeah, so partner marketing, I was in the channel for many, many, many years. And, and I think it relates back to the first question I said is understand your audience and then, you know, the data set, but then the quality of content. You know, content is king is a phrase you, you use often. Um, and I think the channel, what, I, what I've witnessed in the channel often is, is the same material from the technology vendor often gets regurgitated. So it's corporate branding, often it's product-led instead of outcome-led for the customer, and it's rippled down through the channel. So vendor creates something, market distribution may take it and evolve it and say, here's the value to the channel, and it gets rippled down. You know, this for me is you need to look at the, the big customer-centric. Who is your customer? What's the value you're giving them? Um, and it isn't data on the products and the features and the functions and its newest, greatest, blah, blah. And it's going to save you money. That, is, that isn't anything. You know, the, the, the ROI piece and, and the TTO calculator and is it going to save you? So everyone promises this stuff. Give me something that's tangible that makes me engage. I call them grabbers. Give me something that grabs my attention that I care about. I'm the, I'm the prospective client understand my buying persona and give me something that grabs that attention and addresses that. And you may need different messaging to different audiences. Again, what I see often is very generic because it's easier to do. One message and that goes out to the market. Um, and it's from a vendor messaging because we've used co-op funds to, to, to generate this and send it. Therefore, um, you know, it ticks the box to get the funds. So my view is firstly, the data you're sending it to, how you get, what method are you using to get it to and not the data? Because if that isn't good, it's, you're wasting your time anyway. 
if you have a good audience, you know how you get this data. So now what is the content and what's the quality? What's the value to the customer? Put yourself in the customer's shoes. What am I getting out of this? And they don't want to be sold, product information, features. They want to know what is the outcome? How does this transform or help my business, top and bottom line? And how does it help me personally? Does it help me be more efficient in my job so I can be the shining star in the business? That's my, you know, what's the personal outcome? And what's the business outcome? Have I got to, to reduce our operating costs by 10% this year because I'm in a constrained market? Well, how do you help them do it? Show them how you're going to do that with whatever you've got. Get the messaging aligned to their business or their vertical and their individual agendas. And I think that's the big difference I see in channel is still there's a lot of generic messaging uh, and brand messaging. And people know they're being marketed to. What they want is just, just tell me something that helps me get something good out of this. And then all the brand stuff and that will follow. Mm. Great. So next question is from Stella Merkovich, business owner at Rodan and Fields in Wyckoff, New Jersey. So Stella writes, many people are hesitant about securing cloud service. How would you briefly describe what is in the cloud and how is cloud service kept safe? I think part of what we touched on earlier, so Stella, I agree, you know, it remains the biggest concern. My advice to, to people has always been, what's being heavily in cloud is, Cloud isn't right for everyone every time for every um, need in your business. So what I've advocated is always consider whether it's a business application, service, whatever you're doing, look at what cloud options are available and consider them. But in doing so, um, be of diligence and mitigate risk. So the first question is what data are you putting in the service? How critical and confidential is that data firstly? Because the difference is right between just putting some simple data in to the crown jewels. So what is the data firstly? And that, that's one consideration. And then understand that not, not all cloud providers are born equal. Just because they're cloud does not mean they've all got the same security regime. They're, they're not that they're doing all the same um, diligence and hosting, etc. So ask the question, what, where, where is it going to be? Where's my data going to be? Where are the backups going to be? Who has access to the data? What is data disruption? If I leave your service, do you totally remove the data? Can you give me that? And any good cloud provider, and this is one of the things the cloud industry forum we advocate, is transparency. Any good cloud provider should go, yep, give it all clear answers for this. In fact, a lot of them should be, if not all, on the website. But you should certainly be allowed to ask those and not find there's any nervousness of the answers they give. And if you find something, we can't tell you where the data is. Okay, what, you know, maybe it needs an NDA for something because they want to protect their intellectual um, property. But if they can tell you some of the fundamentals, you should make your decision appropriately. But ask questions. It's your right to do so. And ask the same questions when you come to renewal. This is what you told me when I put my data with you. Can you tell me if anything's changed? Just mm -hmm. so I'm aware I've done my diligence again. And no cloud provider should fear a customer asking those questions. They should be fair to us. Great. So next question is from Jason Lieberman, CEO of Lieberman Networks in Fort Lee, New Jersey. So Jason writes, where do you think the next big IT service consolidation will occur? For instance, hosted email has strong momentum 
moving from on-prem to Google Apps and Office 365, what will be the next area to convert to large service providers? So that, that, that particularly relates to my background. I, in cloud, my first role were in hosted email security, the filtering of all the bad stuff. Um, and, and certainly we've seen the involvement there as well. Those are separate products, even in cloud. And that's now evolved to be, as you described, built into 365 and Google. Those products, Google bought Pristini, uh, Microsoft bought a company called Promptbridge, and embedded the filtering technology within the hosted mail. So we've seen consolidation within that space on top of it. Um, I think what we're going to see, if I had to pick one, I think that stands out in my head would be AI. Right now, there is a plethora of AI technology. Um, some big names we're here, but there's also lots of incredible startup companies doing very uh, innovative um, technology. I think that's going to be a phase, apologies, a phase within IoT devices, within cloud, within websites. We're going to see smart chatbots that will automatically talk to you. You won't know you're not talking to a human. Um, we're going to see predictive routing of information. And think about, you know, we've already started to see it in, in the device we get smart fridges or early days, but a fridge that predicts based on its learning when it last needed to work, not, not that it reorders milk when you run out, but it's watching your usage, it's predicting, and it knows it needs to order more because at weekends your usage goes up. And you know, AI fundamentally can change the way we do virtually everything because it can bring that predictive analysis into play and be three steps ahead. Um, so I think that's the biggest I, I think we'll see. I think we'll see the AI technology being embedded. It won't necessarily pre present itself as AI to us. We won't see the term, this is an AI product. It will just be a product that works far more smartly than we've ever seen before. The technology, the power of the technology is there now. You know, we've got phone apps, which are incredibly smart um, because they're using cloud processing and data behind the scenes, why wouldn't it be AI? You know, the processing power is now, now easy. So I think that, that's the big, I think, we're going to see the transformation from. Great. Final question. So this well, question is from Michelle McBain, uh, chair, chairperson, chairperson of CompTIA's Advancing Women and IT Executive Council in Albany, New York. So Michelle was also a guest here uh, a few episodes ago. Well, so Michelle writes, from one extremely social person to another, how do you determine what to share publicly versus privately? What is your guidance to others? What was your greatest lesson in social selling? And if you can share one best practice to someone just starting out, what would it be? Well, some good questions there. So privately and publicly, I think there's a fundamental piece. And I've done podcasts about talking about recruitment both from an employer side but a, and a candidate side of social. And I think that's a good baseline for this is don't put anything out there public that could affect you negatively and you've got to assume anyone can find it. So think of if you're going for a job, is there anything publicly that I as an employer might find? Because I can search your name in seconds in Google and it's going to present me with all the top stuff. You know, search yourself. Firstly, search yourself, and in the first two or three pages, what comes up? Is there anything you wouldn't want me to see? Because people do make judgments, rightly or wrongly, and I've, I've heard people say before, well, that's, the, that's their problem, not mine. Yeah, but if you don't, for example, get to the interview, 
you'll never know it's because they saw something inappropriate, whatever, and you can argue that's not fair, but that's reality. You can't defend it. You can't then, you know, so you have to live with that fact of people will make a judgment on you, like it or not. So you may be the greatest person in the world, but if there's a photograph looking something inappropriate and then that person takes offense, it's their right to be offended. So that, that's why I look at it. I think, is there anything I'm sharing that could be considered offensive? And, and for that, it's the usual things, right? Politics, religion, sexism. Just think about what you're posting. Don't post overtly sexist pictures. If you want to keep that private, but if you put it public, the consequence will come to you from seeing it. What about, you know, customers, etc.? We're all social now, and I always advise the salespeople, assume your customer will search you and look you up. Make sure that first impression is good. The first impression now is not when I walk in the room and shake your hand. Those days are gone. The first impression is made before we ever meet. We check each other out on social. So make sure it's a good impression, not a bad one. Um, sorry, what was the last part of the question Michelle asked? There was, a, there was a piece tail at the end. What was your greatest lesson in social selling? And if you can share one best practice, what would it be? Sure. Um, well, that's a good question. So I, a basic one, I think, a fundamental one for people is think about what you're sharing. So for example, consider sharing, I, I, I do a rule 411. Think about sharing four pieces of value Maybe one bit of something entertaining, like might be a cartoon, something smiling for the day or something, and then one piece of your product or your pitch or something about your company. Get the balance. Don't do, if it's a company account, I get it, it's going to be relative. But if it's you and your bio, don't do company, 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 company. And certainly my advice would be don't do great sandwich, wow, look at this drink, wow, look at Really, do your followers want to see that stuff? Unless you're a blogger on food. So, you know, think about the mix you're sharing. It will give in value, value, value. You know, I was at 411 rule, I've seen four bits of value and four bits of information. And then you can slide in something that's a bit more lighthearted. Uh, might be about the latest movie or something that, again, is non offensive and fine. And then the final one is here's something great, we will reward. Or our product's wonderful, look. Get the balance. And so, so you're giving value to your audience so people want to follow you based on why do I want to see what you're posting? That, that would be if I had to give one thing, just an easy one that people can adhere to. Great. And that 411 is a great way to remember it. Sure. All right, Ian, I know you're a busy guy. We're going to let you go in just a bit. Uh, just before we do, okay. how do people connect with you? Sure, so two web addresses, uh, if you go to Ian Moise, I-A-N-M-O-Y-S-E.co.uk, that will take you to my LinkedIn profile, and ianmoise.cloud will take you straight to my Twitter profile. So simple branding example there, rather than try and remember the Twitter and slash, I've made it easy, they'll go straight to the profiles redirected. Great, I'm gonna put that in the show notes so people can just click on it and go right there. All right. Thank you. All right, so Ian, um, do you have any parting words of wisdom that you'd like to leave the audience with? Crikey, come up with words, words of wisdom. <laughs> um, do you know what, let me give you something from the social sphere that I talk about often, it, 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 
put yourself out there and take part. Um, you know, li li often I, I, I see people say, well, I'm not on Twitter, I'm not doing this, because I don't want to post about, I don't want to spend my whole time posting and talking about my life. You don't need to. Listen. Firstly, listen. Observe. If the people you want to follow, learn from the information. You'll find a wealth of information being fed to you because the good people are sharing really good content. And then look to engage. And you'll get more than you put in back. That, that would be my big piece of advice that I've learned over the last few years. Incredible. Social is an incredible tool to use it to your advantage. Great. Ian, thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom. I really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. I do appreciate the opportunity.